John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Does anybody know the year the movie Pinocchio was made? 1940 is actually correct. Can you believe that? Pinocchio, 1940. One of the most laughed at movies, one of my most laughed at movies is Pinocchio. And I'll give you the scene in which it is the most laughed at movie. While Pinocchio is sitting there, the angel or the star, whatever you want to call it, comes down and touches him and says, you are now alive, and he becomes a live wooden puppet. Obviously, he's having a good time, and Geppetto wakes up, which was the person who made him. If you people don't know the story of Pinocchio, this is, this is your homework, okay? Go home and look up Pinocchio. Pinocchio becomes uh, this live wooden puppet, and Geppetto's a little bit nervous, and they, uh, you know, end up getting to know each other a little bit, and they have this wonderful celebration that he's alive, and all these different things, and they're getting ready for the first night to go to bed. And Geppetto, Geppetto says, all right, close your eyes and go to sleep. Just nice, soft tone. And Pinocchio says, Why? And he says, because we all need to go to sleep. Uh, Cleo's going to sleep, and Figaro's going to sleep, and all, everybody goes to sleep. And he says, why? And he says, besides, you have to go to school tomorrow. Why? And I'm not kidding you, when I first saw that as a kid, I was dying laughing. Because he just kept asking the question, Why? Why, why, why? Finally, <laughs> Geppetto says, you need to learn things. You need to go to school so you can learn things and get smart. Why? He had no idea. He's never been a boy before. He's, he has no idea. The last thing Geppetto says before they go to bed is simply this, because. <laughs> because. Now, we all like the term why, don't we? Our entire lives, we've always wanted to know why? Has anybody ever asked why you should go to school? <laughs> that was me. That was me. I did not want to go to school. We want to know why do we have to go to school. We want to know why our teacher said that. We want to know why our parents did this. We want to know why our, pa our pastor said that. We want to know all kinds of different things as to why. Why did our friend do that? Why did our school have that rule? I remember going to college, and the first thing that we got in college was the rule book, right? And uh, the rule book had a lot of crazy rules in it. There was one in particular that I remember, you could not have a lamp in your bed. Couldn't do it. And you know what my question was, right? Why? Why? And so I found out a little later that somebody had used a lamp in their bed, a clip-on, they clipped it on and pointed it right at the bottom of the bed above them because it was a bunk and literally burned a hole through the bunk because the, the lamp got so hot. And so that night I'm laying there and I look up and it's my bunk that somebody had burned a hole through. They obviously didn't replace it, but there it was. And so I was like, okay, that makes a little more sense. But we want to know why. In fact, why is one of the most asked questions of all time. Why? Why? In fact, you can find out the most why asked questions on Google pretty easily. Pretty simple search. We are all looking for the reasons why things happen in our lives. 
We're all looking for them. Why do I eat the things that I eat? Why do I like food? Why, why do I gain so much weight when I eat this kind of food, right? We all ask those questions. There's all kinds of different whys in our lives. But what happens when we don't know the reason? What happens when the only thing we can say is, because? What, what happens when we're in those times of our lives where it's just because? We don't know why something is happening. We're struggling through it. What happens when there are no real reasons as to why something is happening? Well, what happens is most of us begin to make assumptions as to why something's happening. Right? We begin to make assumptions as to why things are happening. And then 99% of the time, guess what? Our assumptions are wrong. Very wrong. And then we start to act on our wrong assumption. We start to act on them, which leads us then to wrong action. Okay, do you follow that? Most of us begin to make assumptions as to why things happen, and 99% of the time our assumptions are wrong, which then leads us to act upon those assumptions, which are leading us to act in wrong ways. Do you see that progression? Let me try to illustrate with our passage today. John chapter 9, look with me in verse 1. John chapter 9 and verse 1, the Bible says this. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man, notice this, which was blind from his birth. I just want you to notice that. It's an integral part of this story. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, so an interesting question, but does anybody notice anything silly about the question? Not necessarily why. Look at the question again. I don't necessarily want you to shout it out. Look at the question. The, the, the disciples ask this question. Who did sin? This man or his parents? Notice that he was born blind. So they're asking, did this man sin before he was born? Ridiculous, right? Sometimes our assumptions aren't exactly logical either, right? Did this man sin that he was, and the disciples knew he was born blind because in their question, they say that he was born blind. Ridiculous, right? There's just a bunch of ridiculousness here. This man had sinned bad enough, obviously, before he was born so that he could be born blind. Crazy idea. The assumption is made then that this man is blind because of personal sin. The assumption then is made that this man is blind because of personal sin. It was either him who had sinned, which is not very smart, or it was his parents. More logical, right? It had to be his parents. His parents were the one who did the sin. Once again, this was a common misconception within the religious crowd. This was a common misconception within the religious crowd. In fact, I want you to jump down all the way down to verse 34. Verse 34. They being the Pharisees here, and uh, in this, they're talking to him, which is the blind man. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether, notice this, born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. 
So I want you to realize something this morning. The religious community of that day, all they could assume about this man was that he was born in sin. That's all they could assume. They put this assumption on him and they assumed that this is what had happened. Everyone assumed that this man was born blind because he was a destitute sinner. This assumption, notice, affected their behavior of him. Notice again, this assumption affected their behavior toward him. Notice, most people didn't want to help him. Most people didn't want to be around him. In fact, after he is healed of his blindness, which we'll get to in just a second, the neighbors didn't even know for sure if this was the same guy. That's how well they knew him. Okay, actually, let's go ahead and uh, look at it. Look at, um, let me see if I can find it real fast. Look at verse 9, 8, verse 8. The Bible says this. The neighbors, therefore, and they which, uh, which before had seen him that was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? And some said, This is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. So they're like, ah, it could be him. Ah, I'm not sure. They, didn't, they were avoiding him. They were keeping away from him. And so I want you to understand this. Write this down. Their assumption led to something very important, to avoidance. Okay? Don't miss this. Their assumption led to avoidance. This is important. Okay, what happens is we assume things about people, do we not? We assume things about people and what happens is we begin to avoid them because of it. Notice we've made a wrong assumption and our assumptions affect our actions and our actions are usually wrong with wrong assumptions. Now, I need to stop right here and I need to talk to two different groups of people. Two different groups of people. There's a group of people sitting here today that are doing the avoiding. We would call us the religious crowd, right? There's a group of people that sit here today that are doing the avoiding. And there's a group of people being avoided. There's a group of people that are doing the avoiding. And there are a group of people who are being avoided. So you might be sitting here listening to this right now. And all of your life you feel like you've been avoided. All of your life you feel like people are avoiding you. You're, they're trying to stay away from you. You feel like people have judged you and pushed you aside. And you might feel like no one cares about you. That may be you sitting in this place here this morning. I want to encourage you today. I want you to know that at the end of this story there's hope for you. There's hope for you. You might be sitting listening to this right now. And there are people or types of people in your life that you purposefully avoid. That you purposefully avoid because you've made a terrible assumption about them. Let me encourage you as well. There's hope for you at the end of this story as well. But I want you to see Jesus' response to the question that the disciples asked. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. Notice, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Read that verse again. 
Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Notice the cause of this man's blindness was not his or his parents' sin. Let me say that again. The cause of this man's blindness was not his sin or his parents' sin. The purpose of his blindness was so the works of God could be made manifest in him. Did you, see the, did you see the two differences? We see the word cause was not sin, but the purpose was. You see, sometimes God brings things into your life for a purpose. And all of us want to know what the cause is. We want to know why. But the reality is sometimes we just need to know the purpose. If you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. The question for us is not why has suffering come, but what is he going to do with it? The question is for us not what, why has suffering come, but what is he going to do with it? What is God going to do with it? Notice again the end of verse 3, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Some of you are going through some serious difficulty right now. Some of you are going through some serious pain. Some of you have uh, gone through some things in the past and it is still with you today. Maybe it's just a few days ago. But you are sitting here this morning just begging God, why? Why? Why are you allowing me to go through this? You feel the pain of avoidance. You feel people uh, ignoring you. You feel people pushing you aside. You feel the struggle. You feel like everyone's judging you. You feel it. And you may even feel a bit blind to the reason as to why this has come. But today I want to give you some real hope. Some real hope, although difficult. Don't miss this. Although difficult, you, if you are in that group, you are in the perfect position for God to do something miraculous in your life. If you are feeling judged, if you are feeling outcast, if you are feeling blind to the reason as to why God is doing something, don't miss this. You're in the perfect position for God to do something miraculous in your life. The perfect position. Here's the catch though. If you will just trust him. If you will just trust him Let's continue on in our story. Verse 4, Jesus says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In verse 6, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Anybody signing up for this? You're blind. All of a sudden, this man comes along and you hear, I'm just going to be frank with you. This is probably not the first time he's heard this. I'm going to be frank with you. Sinners often got spat upon. And again, I'm just trying to establish the fact that this morning, you may feel all of these things. You may feel outcast. You may feel spat upon. You may feel pushed aside and judged. And this may not be the only thing, only time you've ever heard somebody get ready to spit. But here Jesus is, spitting on the ground. Making clay of the spittle, and then he anoints his eyes with the clay. Verse 7. And look what Jesus says. And said unto him, go wash 
in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he, being the blind man, went his way, therefore, and washed, and noticed, and came seeing. He was healed. He had his sight restored. He was no longer blind. He was now healed. But I want you to understand this morning, if you're in the first group, the, the group that's feeling judged, the group that's feeling avoided, I want you to notice this. Jesus is someday, at some point in your life, he is going to lead you to a place where you have to act in faith. He is going to lead you to a place where you have to act in faith. This man didn't just, God didn't just say, hey, you're healed. He didn't slap him across the forehead and say, you're healed. No, listen, he put clay on his eyes and then said, go. Go and wash where? In the pool of Siloam, which means sent in order to see. He had to do something. He had something to do about his situation. You see, most of us play the victim mentality. Most of us just say, oh, woe is me. There's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that I can accomplish in my life. Uh, woe is me. I've had all of these things happen to me over my life. Uh, that means that I'm just, this is what I'm meant to do. This is my destiny, is to be a victim. I want you to stop right there. Stop thinking like that. Because Jesus is going to call you to a place where you need to do something about your feelings. Do something about your problem. Do something about what's been handed to you. This man didn't choose to be blind. It was handed to him. And so God's going to bring you to a place where you need to do something about the situation. By the way, don't make assumptions on what you need to do. This man didn't, didn't just start rubbing uh, uh, clay on his eyes and washing in the pool of Siloam on his own. Notice, notice with me, it was a direct command from Jesus. Hey, don't miss this, guys. Most of us make assumptions as to what we're supposed to do with our lives. Well, this is the way I feel. This is what I think works. I heard so and so long ago, they did this, and so I'm going to try this. Listen, God is going to bring you to a place where you need to do something about your problem, but I want you to understand, it ought to come from a command of Jesus. It ought to come from the Bible. It ought to come from the Word of God. What am I supposed to do about my current situation? How am I supposed to accomplish what it is that I'm called to do? Most of us who have been through a difficult situation know that God is calling us to do something. In fact, most of you, if you're in this group, you know what that is right now. You know God has called you to do something, but quite frankly, you're just too scared to do it. You just don't want to put your faith and trust in that. You don't want to look ridiculous. Do you, do you think that this blind man looked ridiculous? With clay on his eyes, going, trying to find, feeling around, hope. I, the Bible doesn't say that some man led him. Who knows? He probably looked ridiculous with clay on his eyes and then washing in the pool of Siloam. He that would have been ridiculous to see, yet he did it. God's calling you to do something. You say, well, listen, I don't know what that is right now. Then I would encourage you to get as close to Jesus Christ as you possibly can so that he can direct you to it. I would encourage you to get as close to Jesus Christ as you possibly can so that he can direct you to it. If I was to put that in point form, it'd look like these three points. Number one, get close to Jesus. Number two, listen for his instruction. Number three, faithfully obey. 
Oh, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Sounds so simple until he tells you to do something that you don't want to do. Until he tells you to do something that makes you face up to the fact that you're blind. Makes you face up to the fact that you've been hurt. Makes you face up to the fact that you've had this issue your entire life. But he's going to instruct you. But you've got to get close to him. When he instructs you and you get close to him, obey. Just obey. But the story doesn't stop here. This story takes up the entire chapter of John chapter 9. I just want to walk through the story quickly with you. I'll try to uh, be, be quick about this. And there's lots that we can learn from here. But I want you to understand this. After the blind man is healed, again we read verse 8, the neighbors and the people that had seen the blind man basically can't even believe that it's the same person. They can't even believe that it's the same person. This can't be him. And they begin to ask him all kinds of questions. How, did you, how were you healed? What happened? All these different things. And the blind man simply tells them, Jesus healed me. Jesus rubbed clay on my eyes and now I see. Take a wild guess what the lovely people of Israel do to this man. When they can't figure out how it's done, they take him immediately to the religious crowd, which is the Pharisees. I want you to look at verse 13. Enter the chess match of the Pharisees. Verse 13, the Bible says, they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. Notice this in verse 14. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. To the Pharisees, this is a big no-no. You don't do anything on the Sabbath. Verse 15. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon my eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? He's creating a problem within the Pharisees. And there was a division among them. There was a division among them. Jesus creates divides. Jesus creates divides. The Pharisees continue to ask the blind man, hey, what do you think about this Jesus? The reality is this. Notice this. The blind man had never seen Jesus before. The blind man had never seen Jesus. He's blind. Jesus puts the stuff on his face and he goes his way and washes in the pool of Siloam. Jesus has to find him later. We'll see that in just a second. He has never seen Jesus. He says, listen, all I know is he's a good man. Before I was blind, but now I see. The Pharisees continue to ask this blind man all kinds of different questions. And more and more people of the Jews did not believe that he was the blind man. And so what do you do when you don't believe somebody? You go ask somebody else. So they actually ask his parents. Hey, parents. Was he born blind? Yes, this is our son. He was born blind, but they would not admit to how he was able to see because of fear of the Jews. The Pharisees continue to go back and forth from the parents to the son, from the parents to the son, and they come back and they are trying to get as much information as they possibly can so that once again they can try to trap Jesus. The only information they have on him so far is that he did this on the Sabbath. And so now they go back to the blind man, and guess what they do? They ask him the same questions again. Look at verse 27. His response is this. He answered them, I have told you already. Can you just feel it? I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? 
If I told you once, are you going to listen the second time? Probably not. Notice verse 27. Will ye also be his disciples? <laughs> this is the biggest slap in the face to a Pharisee. Pharisees were not the disciples of Jesus. The Pharisees were the disciples of Moses. And they, that's all they cared about. So they are like, are you going to be his disciples? Are you going to listen to this? If I tell you again, are you going to be his disciples? Look at verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses, and as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, why herein is a marvelous thing. That ye know not whence he is, and yet he hath opened my eyes. What a marvelous thing. This is, this is an interesting thing. You don't even know who he is, yet he opened my eyes. Verse 31. Now, this is still the blind man, or the uh, previously blind man, speaking in verse 31. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? Verse 33, I love it. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. You see, he's saying, listen, I'm, I, he just talked himself into believing that Jesus is God. No man ever before since the beginning of the world has ever healed a blind man that was born blind. No one. And yet there's this Jesus, there's this Son of God coming, re revealing himself to the healing of a blind man. So it's pretty obvious that this Jesus is from God. And the Pharisees, no doubt, have to realize this as well. Oh man, he's got a point. Oh my goodness. No one in history has ever, ever healed a blind man. And yet here is this Jesus. He has to be from God. But instead of saying that, look what they say in verse 34. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. You see, what happens is skeptics often want to prove that you are the sinner. And they don't want to look at themselves. Again, there is a group that is the avoided. And there is a group that is the avoiders. You see, the avoiders will do anything they can to avoid their own sin. They will do anything they can. And what happens is, we've talked about this multiple times in here. What happens is we'll look at someone else's sin and prop that up and say, look at how bad they are in order to make ourselves look better. That's exactly what happens here in verse 34. Hey, you are born in sin and you're teaching us? Get out of here. And they literally cast him out. They abandon this former blind man. They cast him out. Let's continue the story in verse 35. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, when Jesus had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he? Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, interesting, I was both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So this man not only receives physical healing, he receives spiritual healing. 
in all of his spiritual and physical problems, this man knew that he needed Jesus. It's a good thing that the religious cast him out. Because guess what? Jesus found him. Let me say that one more time. It's a good thing the religious cast him out. Why? Because Jesus found him. Jesus found him, and this man needed Jesus. He needed Jesus physically, and he needed Jesus spiritually. And guess what Jesus does? Heals him physically and heals him spiritually. Jesus not only healed his physical deformity, but he gave him the power to become a son of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You may sit here in this room this morning, and you don't even know who Jesus is. You're not sure if you believe in him. You're not sure. Listen, I want you to understand, Jesus was real. Jesus came. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He took the shame. He was, he was beaten he was whipped with a cat of nine tails. He was placed on a cross. He took all of that for you so that you don't have to. And all you have to do is believe on his name. And look at this man says, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. I believe who you are. I believe what you've done. You've done some amazing things. And here he falls and worships him. Now remember, I wanted to talk to two groups of people. I've already spent a good deal of time talking to the group of people who feel avoided. Now let me talk to the group of people who are doing the avoiding. I want you to look at John chapter 9 and verse 39. I want you to notice this phrase that Jesus gets into. The Bible says this. And Jesus said, for judgment I am come into this world. Notice that they which see not might see. And that they which see might be made blind. Upon first reading, you're like, what? I get the first part. Jesus wants to make blind people see. I got that. But what do you mean he wants to make seeing people blind? What, what does that mean? That, that, goes, that seems to go against the, the character of Jesus. Somebody who makes seeing people blind? Nobody's signing up for that. Nobody wants to be a part of that. Yet this is Jesus' statement. What Jesus is saying here is I want to literally divide you into two groups. I came for judgment. I'm coming to divide you into two different groups. Those who are blind and those who think they can see. Let me say that again. Those who are blind and those who think they can see. He wants to change those who are blind into seeing, but he wants to make those that think they can see into those that are blind. Anybody confused yet? Try and walk this through. Pharisees walk right into this lesson. Look at verse 40. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Kind of making a mock of it. Hey, are we blind also? You think, we're the blind ones? Jesus said unto him, them, excuse me, if ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, we see. Therefore, your sin remaineth. There are some that sit here listening to this that have been spending their time 
assuming all kinds of other things about other people, judging other people, avoiding other people, acting like better than everyone else. We act like we have no problems whatsoever. Like we have it all together. Like we dress the part. We talk the part. We, we, we try to, quote, live the part. We, we act so well. We have it all together. But let me be pointed with you. And by the way, I'll include myself in this because this is more for me than any of you. If we are this second group of people, the people who are doing the avoiding, I want you to understand this. We are in the worst possible position for God to do something miraculous in our life. Let me say that again. If we, who are the uh, people avoiders, if we who are people judgers, if we who are pushing people away, if we are like that, we are in the worst possible position for God to do something miraculous. We sit here this morning, myself included, I'm, I, this is me. We sit here this morning, we think, come on God, do something. Do something miraculous. And we start saying things like this, and I've done this so many times. I do this for you, and I do that for you, and I do this, and I do that. Why won't you do something miraculous for me? Why won't you give me the power that I've asked for thousands upon thousands of times? And why can't I've, I've done this and I've served you for X number of years and I've been saved for X number of years and all of these different things? And while in reality, we think we're something holy. We think we're something special. But we are in the worst possible position for God to do something miraculous in our lives because we have the wrong thought process. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. I want you to know that this is written to a church. Look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, the Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful, and the true, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot, so that because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. We all know that verse, don't we? All good Christians, we know that verse. And we say, come on, why can't people just get in? Why can't people just be hot like I'm hot? But look at verse 17. Why are we lukewarm? Notice, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Notice, and knowest not, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and what? And blind and naked. I counsel thee, notice, to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Notice this. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve. That thou mayest see. And as many as I love, I rebuke 
and chasing. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. I, w- I want to give this second group some hope. The reality is most religious people sit every Sunday, sometimes every Wednesday. We sit here and we go, I'm good. I got it all together. I'm living my life to the best of my ability. I'm doing everything just right. While over here we're judging so-and-so. And we're getting after so-and-so. And we're avoiding him and we're avoiding her because they've done something that we assume was wicked and vile and sinful. And the whole time Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. And saying, hey, remember me? Remember me? Remember me uh, when you were sinful? I saved you. Remember me? Do you forget that you're miserable and wretched and poor and blind and naked? Do you forget that? Do you forget that you are still a sinner? Do you forget that you are still blind? Listen, Jesus wants you to come to the end of yourself. To come to the end of yourself for what purpose? So that he can transform your life into something miraculous. Jesus wants you to come to the end of yourself so that he can transform your life into something miraculous. You see, the reality is God will not, cannot do something miraculous in your life until you realize you need him. That's the wonderful thing about this blind man. Oh, did he know he needed Jesus? That's what Jesus is trying to say. I am come to bring judgment. And I am come so that blind people can see and so that seeing people or those who think they can see will be made blind. Let me ask you this morning, which person are you? You may even say, Pastor Yeomans, I'm both. I've been hurt. I've been judged. I've been avoided. I've been, people have assumed things about me. You may be that person. And in response What have you done? You've assumed. You've judged. You've done all of these different things to other people. You might be in both positions. Let me give you the solution for both. Number one, get close to Jesus. Number two, listen for his instruction. Number three, faithfully obey. You see, this is the interesting thing about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were close to Jesus, weren't they? In proximity. They were constantly around him, but they never listened for his instruction. Jesus was constantly giving them instruction. Jesus was constantly telling them, hey guys, this is what you need to do. Pay attention to this. They never listened for instruction. They always listened for something to pin against him. And they certainly did not faithfully obey. So listen, you're here this morning. I'm so thankful for that. So thankful that you decided to come, you get close to Jesus. Spend time in his word, understand who he is, listen for his instruction. God, I'm going through this time in my life, what do you want to teach me? Be a hearer of the word, James says, but a doer also. Be a doer of the word. 
the decision is pretty simple. Will you come to Jesus? You say, Pastor Jones, I'm already saved. That's not what I asked. I said, will you come to Jesus? Every day. Every moment of every day. Jesus is offering you an opportunity today. The question is simply, will you accept it? The Pharisees and the blind man had the exact same opportunity. One man knew he was blind. The other thought he could see. Will you become a blind man today so that God can do something miraculous with your life? Listen, I don't know what God is trying to do. I don't know why he's doing it. But I know for this man, thousands of years later, we're still reading about it. Thousands of years later and thousands and thousands if not millions of people have been changed by this story. What can God do miraculously in your life if you'll but trust him and listen for his instruction, faithfully obey. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. I just pray, Father, that your will be accomplished here today. Father, it's our desire that people would come to know you. And after they know you, that they would spend more time with you. Father, the reality is this. We allow our pride, our self, our sin to get the better of us. And we become judgy and avoiding. And Father, we forget about who you are and the instruction that you've given us. Would you please use us if only you can. And we'll give you the honor and glory for it. I pray all these things in your name. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you would do this for me today. I, want, I, I do this every once in a while, but I want every head bowed, every eyes closed, nobody looking. I want you to know that I am not looking. This is simply between you and the Lord. It's just a physical representation. So I'm going to ask you, if this statement is true, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Before God, nobody looking, please. Again, I myself am not looking. But if you would say this this morning, I know I'm not perfect. I know I need Jesus. Would you just simply raise your hand? I know I'm not perfect. I know I need Jesus. Just simply raise your hand. Nobody looking around. If you raise your hand, you go ahead and put that down. I'll have another slide. Maybe today, if you would be honest enough to raise your hand before God. Again, nobody looking around, please. Maybe you'd say, I have been thinking too highly of myself. I have been judgmental and even avoiding. If that's you, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand before God. Nobody looking around, please. This is just between you and the Lord. If that's you, if you say, I have been thinking too highly of myself, I have been judgmental and I've been avoiding, I want you just to raise your hand before God. If you'd raise your hand, you can put your hand down. Maybe instead of asking yourself why, Asking God why. Maybe you could just start asking God, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do with this? How are you going to help me? How are you going to make me into your image?
want to just give you three decisions to make. Get close to Jesus, listen for his instruction, and faithfully obey. We want to give you some time to make that decision, and let's do that.